0: Yes, all right, that's all it needed, a, a kick. <clears throat> um, so, uh, we're going to continue in John 6 this morning, where Jesus talks about um, being the bread of life. And, and the question I have is, what is your favorite type of bread? Um, I was trying to look this up, but um, is your favorite sourdough or... Rye, um, flatbread. You know, when you go to Subway, actually, what's your favorite sub shop? You know, I mean, actually, my guess is that if you're like me, you probably pick your favorite sub shop based on which bread you like. You know, I mean, I think of like, do you, How many of you go to? How many of you like Mister Good Sense better than Subway? And is that because of the bread? Yeah, see, Yep. Yeah. Now, at Subway, I mean, they do offer you different, you know, you can pick the different breads. I don't know if they do that in good sense. I think they just have the one bread. Oh, okay, okay, there you go. Now, how about this? Do you sometimes, you know, like you're thinking like, hey, what restaurant do we want to go to for lunch or dinner? And you pick the restaurant to eat at, based on the pre-meal bread they serve. <laughs> do you ever do that? I mean, like, yeah, should we go to Olive Garden because of the breadsticks? Or, yeah, Texas, okay, because of the bread. Or Longhorn, their bread is pretty good, right? So, like, I was on a business trip in Los Angeles this week, and the group was deciding where we were going to go to eat, and all of a sudden someone remembered this Italian restaurant that serves these garlic nuts. Uh, it's just bread and they're olive oil and garlic. And then as soon as someone brought that up, it was like, that's where we're going. I mean, it's like endless garlic nuts before the meal. And you just, you go there because of that. Garlic nuts. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought it was garlic nuts. <laughs> I guess that would be real garlic and you wouldn't want to eat those. But uh, anyway, they're so good. You don't really care about the, uh, the, the, the Italian food at that point. You just, you just go there for the bread. So anyway, um, see, I even wrote garlic nuts. <laughs> uh, anyway, in John 6, uh, Jesus refers to himself um, at two times. He says, I am the bread of life. And one time he says, I am the living bread. And, uh, <clears throat> why all this talk about bread? Well, um, I thought about this. You know, Jesus was there in the Middle East and the, and the Middle East was in that region. I mean, I was looking this up yesterday. I was like, what are the staple foods in different regions? Actually, in the Middle East, wheat is a, is a staple food even, even today. Um, in Asia, rice, you know, is a very staple food. Um, in Central America, corn is a staple food. And, I mean, you just wonder, like, if if uh, how God planned it out, if Jesus was in Asia, if his metaphor would be, I am the rice of life, you know, or if he was in Central America, I am the corn of life, you know. But, um Anyway, he was in that region, and so bread was an essential food. It was a mainstay of life, and from a physical standpoint, all life was very dependent on the grain harvest for that for those people in that region. Therefore, by Jesus invoking the analogy of bread, it was an easy analogy for the people to understand. Um, so, to pick up from last week uh, and from you know a couple of weeks ago. Uh, when the people from across the lake where Jesus had fed the 5,000 with the miracle of multiplying bread, they they ran across, they caught up with him again on the other side. And now this whole passage, this whole discourse of, of what we're going to read today is he's in a synagogue in Capernaum now on the other side, and he's giving this, this dialogue here where the people have caught up with him. And you know, you kind of get the idea that Jesus is wanting to steer the conversation bit to uh, believing in Him, uh, but the people keep going back to this bread and and manna from heaven, and so Jesus, you know, ultimately proclaims, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst." Um, and then to conclude the conclude the portion last week that um, Eric talked about, Jesus says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. So I'm going to go ahead and read um, uh, the passage, and then we're going to break it down from here. And I'm going to go on a little bit more, just so that we have context. It's going to go into a little bit more of what's going to happen uh, after the passage that I'm supposed to go to, but I'm going to creep into uh, uh, David's passage when he's going to pick up um, after the fifth Sunday. So let's start in um, John 6, verse 41, and we'll read it through, and then we'll come back to it and kind of break it down. Okay. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Um, Okay. So, um, as you can see from verse 41 and 42, the response of the people has reached a level of dissatisfied grumbling after they're going, kind of going back and forth with Jesus, because they're certainly not getting this metaphor of bread from heaven that Jesus was was giving them. They're they're taking very literally um, what what he's saying. But um, but before I get into this about the bread of life, um, uh, I don't want us to miss something very important that Jesus keeps touching on throughout this passage, and. Um, What's interesting is that, uh, he touches on it like four different times throughout the passage. And it's like the people, they don't really, they don't really respond to what I'm going to talk about here. But Jesus doesn't let it go. He keeps touching on it. And so I don't want us to miss it either. So I'm going to point it out. And it's, and it's this, it's the involvement of God in the entire faith believing salvation process how God's involvement is 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 uh, overarching throughout the whole process and so uh, I just want to point out uh, how this started the conversation Jesus started this conversation in the in verse 27 where they were talking about um, he said Jesus said do not work for the food that perishes." but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And what is the work? He goes on to answer that uh, later in that uh, next verse, where he says the work of God is believing, that you believe um, in him whom he has sent. And um, so if you think about that, that the Son of Man will give to you, what is... What is the gift of God that we know? It's our saving faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may, may boast. So Jesus right here is, is saying that um, the, the work of God, which is believing, um, is something that the Son of Man will give to you. And then in verse 37, he, he, he hits on it again. He says, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then again in verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And if you look up the word draw from the original languages, it has, it has more umph than what you would may have read, uh, if you just read the word draw, you might just think like, oh, okay, that's kind of like a, a kind, like a, oh, coaxing, or come on to me, little children. Uh, but really the word is uh, used um, with kind of like a, a for, um, it's a more powerful pull as if, if a rope. It's used uh where the fishermen and peter where they had to like haul the fish into the boat um uh they they drew the net full and pulled the fish into the boat it was used when paul and silas were were dragged into the marketplace because the people were angry and they drug them into the marketplace so this word draw is not just like a a little gentle like come here little children it, it is this this powerful draw Okay, so um, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then again in verse 65, and he said, This is why I told you that no one... Oh, I didn't, we, we didn't finish that verse, sorry. And he said to me, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So this just seemed to be going over the people's heads but I didn't want it to go over our heads this morning, and that is this, that Jesus is saying that the effective power at work in the believing, salvation, faith process is driven from above by God. So what? So, so what is that? You know, what do we... Why does that matter to us? Why should that matter to us? And... Um, I, I was just thinking, you know, uh, so what does it mean for us that he he gives faith as a gift? What does it mean that he gives people, the Father gives people to Jesus and Jesus won't lose them? What does it mean that the Father draws them to Jesus? What does it mean that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father grants it? Um, you all might think of some other things, and and during the application time in the second hour, you know, you guys can discuss this. But I thought of, I thought of some things of, of what this means. Uh, To me, it's, it's, uh, it's an encouraging thing to me. Um, because I, I think that what it means is that our trust for the salvation of people's souls needs to be in the Father alone. Um, it takes it off of me and it puts it in the Father's hands, which means that my role is to pray, Pray and pray some more for people's souls, um, loved ones, family members, um, co-workers, neighbors, um, that the Father would draw them to Jesus, uh, that the Father would grant them to come to Jesus, um, that the Father would give them to Jesus. Um, That's what it means to me. The other thing is that um, what it means is that uh, we should be asking God how he wants to use us in his plan and to understand, one, as we see from these verses, that it is his plan. So we, we should be asking him how he wants to use us in his plan and then be available to be used as part of his plan as he sees fit. And the reason I say that is because if you just look at the New Testament example, I mean, I think of one where he didn't use people. I mean, there, there might be other ones. I just, I'm not thinking through all of them, but there was one where God just took it upon himself to strike Saul from the, from the horse and, and say, like, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And basically God did the work himself, right? Okay. But in all the other examples of people coming to Christ, all the Ephesians and the Colossians and the Galatians and the Corinthians. I mean, God used people, right? I mean, He used people. Um, He used Philip. He used Paul. He used Barnabas. He used Peter. He used, um, uh, Epaphras. He used, I mean, He, He used, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. He, He used, He used people. So be available to be used as part of His plan as He sees fit. So, um, I mean, whether that be as a WANA, working in a WANA, children's church, um, Sunday school teachers, nursery workers, um, um, as a neighbor, you know, to people in your neighborhood, as co-workers, um, and then thirdly, know that God is always at work around you. Okay, again, these verses just showing that God is, it's his process, and he's involved in it. So know that he's always at work around you, so be alert. Um, I mean, just, we can't just walk through life kind of like with our heads down like this, and, and because God is always at work around us, and we don't know what he, I mean, He's, he's he is working. And so we need to be alert to 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 if we're asking God how He wants to use us to fit into His plan, we need to be alert that like at any moment He might go like up oh, here. You know, here's the door. Here's the opening. And so, um, so that's that's what I wanted to share from those verses. Um, uh, let me read here again. I'm going to read uh, 47 through 51. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. those who believe already have eternal life. Truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And I just want to just stop on the word here real quick. I mean, a lot of times we hear like these, I mean, this is a biblical word, but, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's like it's a religious word, eternal life. Okay, oh, great, I have eternal life. Well, so what does that mean, and how does that impact my day-to-day? You know, um, so, uh, but because you have it now. If you believe you have it now, okay, it does mean that we have the glorious hope, O glorious day. It does mean that, but we, and that's a lot of times we think of it in the future. We think, right? We think of eternal life as, oh, I have, I'm going to heaven and the glorious day, and we look forward to the blessed hope. But we have it now. So what does that mean? So just to put some teeth on eternal life, um, it, it's interesting. Um, I just wanted to, I was just like, oh, what does that mean, God? And so it's interesting because, right, Scripture um, Scripture will, uh, um, you really don't need a, like a Bible dictionary. Sometimes the, the Scripture itself is the dictionary for its own self, right? So um, <laughs> I was just looking this up and, and and I came across this. and I'm like, oh, wow, you know what? Uh, in John 17:3, it tells us what eternal life is. So I'm gonna I just wanted to share this little excerpt um from John Piper about eternal life so that we can know what we have right now, what eternal life actually is. Okay. So this is from John Piper. This eternal life is a personal relationship with God the Father and God the Son. In John 17:3, Jesus defined eternal life like this. He was praying to his father in heaven and said, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus, you know, that's what Jesus said, what eternal life is, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He goes on to say, eternal life is a personal, intimate knowing of God. It is not like an inoculation against the disease of death, that works unconsciously like a spiritual antibiotic. It is a conscious experience of knowing and relating to God. To see why this is so, connect this with John 1.4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The life is the light. What does that mean? It means, I believe, he believes, that when the eternal life of Christ comes into your life through faith, It sheds light on God and on Christ so you can know them personally. You now can see them far more clearly than you ever could before. You saw them as through a fog before faith. Then God enabled you to see enough to draw you into faith. Now in faith, the life comes, and with it the lights start to go on everywhere, and the personal reality of God is so powerful that you can know him and relate to him and fellowship with him. Quote, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life brings the light of personal knowledge into the heart, and we know him and live with him and commune with him now. And what's interesting about that is I just think of like how, I mean, there's obviously people that grow up totally unchurched and and have no knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. I grew up and. And a, um a church environment, but not one that that talked about knowing Jesus Christ and God personally, okay so just kind of like he's saying here, um, I had a knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, kind of like as like you would a historical figure if, if you will um, so I kind of saw them through a fog before faith, but when I um trusted christ for salvation the lights did go on and it was it's it's almost hard to explain to people unless you experience it but i did you know i began a relationship with god and jesus christ and it was personal so it's uh it's exactly true so i had eternal life i i have eternal life I started and I had eternal life at the point of believing. And um, the uh what I had before of knowing about them turned into knowing them personally. Um so you could say it like this those who have believed, and now we're we'll back to the context of the bread of life here, um those who have believed have eaten him. It talks about, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So I'm saying you could say it like this. Those who have believed have, quote, eaten him, which is in the context of Jesus calling himself the bread of life. This bread does what no other bread, even manna, can do. It imparts spiritual life and banishes spiritual death. He adds that he is the living bread, implying that he lived in the past is living in the present and will live in the future. He will always be there to provide nourishment. Furthermore, we must not just partake of the bread one time at salvation, that is believing the one time, but we must eat continuously so that we can live life in him and he in us. So basically I'm equating that eating is believing at salvation, and then living a life of faith beyond salvation—it's a continuous eating, it's a continuous believing. It's you know living a life of faith, walking by faith uh, after salvation. So, verse fifty-two: the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, "How can this man give us his flesh to eat?" Again, this verse shows that they cannot get past the literal sense of what Jesus is saying. Their hearts are just in a state that is ever ready to quarrel, scoff, and resist. So Jesus does not only, he doesn't back down from their scoffing, he actually like kind of ratchets it up a notch. And then he goes on to say something, I mean, even more bombastic. Uh, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I am him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven not like the bread the father's ate and died whoever feeds on this bread will live forever can you get an idea of why they would really be boiling at this point i mean so these are jews and it was um they weren't supposed to eat anything with blood you know in it uh and so jesus here is, is talking to them about eating drinking his blood you know that that was all supposed to be cooked out you know you even think about eating something with the blood still in it, you know, was absolutely forbidden. Um, so I'm, I'm sure in Jesus' mind he's thinking, like, surely they couldn't think that I'm talking about real blood because they know that I'm a Jew that is abiding by the law, So, but they're still not getting it, okay? Um, let's see here. I'm going to probably cut something out here, but anyway, uh, so that we can save time here. But um, And the other thing, just to just to let you know, is, um, you know, again, from the beginning of John 6, when it said that it was near the time of Passover, um, uh, there is a little parallel here uh, that Jesus might be making. I mean, in my understanding... Uh, where he is talking about being the bread that he will give for the life of the world will be his flesh. Um, I believe that he could be making a parallel to the sacrifice. He would be like the Passover lamb, um, and his shed blood as part of the sacrifice as well. Um, but where what Jesus is doing here is the exception is that the Passover sacrifice was limited to the Jews, and yet Jesus here... He expands it right here by saying, I will give, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he's extending his sacrifice to the world, not just to the Jews. That would be something that they would do at the Passover. Um, So looking at the passage as a whole, um, there are two somewhat obvious points that I, uh, in my understanding, believe Jesus is making, and, and these are the two. Just as physical bread is essential for physical life, spiritual bread is essential for spiritual life. And two, as you must eat physical bread to sustain physical life, you must eat spiritual bread to sustain spiritual life. So what they weren't quite getting here, and I think he probably covers it later with his disciples when when they're not getting it either, And they say, this is a hard saying, Lord, uh, is what he tells them in verse 63. Um, And he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And it's interesting that later on, a little bit down here, when he's asking his disciples, are you guys going to turn away also? Because many of them... Many of the crowd left at this point because of what he was saying. He said, are you guys going to turn away also? And and Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter was confirming that Jesus had the words of life. So if we all agree that the bread of life Jesus is talking about is spiritual food, then how can we apply these verses? Um, I think one of the main keys here is John 6.56, where he says, Whoever feeds on my flesh, whoever feeds on my flesh, um, continuous tense, and drinks, continuous my blood, abides in me, and I in him. So, of course, you know, we're armchair quarterback, you know, looking back, you know, the but does that sound familiar? Abides in me and I in him. You know, we haven't gotten there yet, but I'm sure most of you are familiar with John 15. He talks about abiding in the vine. You know, if you do this, you abide in me and I in him. So he's saying, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Um, This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So do we need, I mean, we'd all agree that we need physical sustenance every day, right? Um, I don't know what, I I probably should have looked this up, but I don't know how long it says someone can live without physical food. Um, Do you know? Three weeks? As long as you have water, maybe? You probably need, okay. OK so um, for most of us I mean we a lot of our time and energy right is is spent to provide for our physical sustenance um, and it's a necessary activity that we do these things right um, and in addition there's countless other distractions working to grab our attention which makes concentrating on seeking spiritual nourishment something that will require discipline in the use of our time. So how can we do this? Um, again, this is something that you, you, know, you guys can discuss in, in, the, in the discussion times, but I have four things here that I was just thinking about um, that's really, these are convictions that I think that we need to have. One is we have to be first convinced that spiritual nourishment is of equal importance as physical nourishment. And um, I think it kind of starts there. And I think that Jesus, Jesus demonstrated that in his own life. I mean, when he was in the wilderness, and then Satan was tempting him, and he said, you know what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I mean, Jesus was basically saying spiritual sustenance is of equal importance to physical sustenance. Actually, he might have been saying that it's even... More important, but I mean, obviously, you know, you can't live without physical sustenance, but it it was at least of equal importance. And I'm not sure that we're convinced of that, um, because I'm not sure that we really live that way. Um, Two, we need to know that we are becoming malnourished when we go days without spiritual food, just as if we have gone without physical food. And I mean, I know that if we go without physical food, there are signs. You know, we will see that uh, we will start to feel weak. We will um, see other signs, I think, you know, um, uh, that you'll start to see. Um, I don't know all the signs. I'm not a doctor. But uh, there's different things that you, you'll, you'll see if you become malnourished. Um, when you go days without physical food... Um, and I think again, when we become spiritually malnourished, I think that sometimes, especially if we've been Christians for a while and we don't really, we kind of like rest on our laurels, if you will, or we just think like, well, you know, I've got like a, I've got this barn of food back there that I'm just, I'm okay because I'm resting on that. But Jesus is talking about, right? Right. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Okay? And this abide is the same word that's used in John 15, which has to do with remaining in, staying connected, to continue in the same place or condition. So it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a regular thing, it's a continuous thing. It's not like a well, I'll go without a week of spiritual nourishment and then, uh, I'll come back. It's not, not a roller coaster ride. It's a continuous thing. So if we are not feeding, then we are not abiding. And if we are not abiding, then what does he say in John 15? We can do nothing. Okay. We might think we're doing something, but the truth is he said we, we can do nothing. And then probably, A very important thing is that if we aren't filled with the life-giving bread, what do we have to give others? Um, You know, if our cupboards aren't filled, then what do we have to give others? I think that's really important to to think about. Um, And I think what's important to think about in the context of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, right? So we have access to life-giving bread. I mean I was just trying to meditate on this a little bit. Maybe you guys can think about it in your discussion times. If you had if you had access to um the miracle cure for cancer, right? And but you didn't you you knew you had it but you didn't do anything with it or you never uh took it and shared it with anyone or you just were like, "You know, I'm I'm too busy to really take that and get it to the people that need it because I'm just I got other things I get distracted me and whatnot so I just don't have time to to get to it. Um, you probably wouldn't do that, um, but and we have access to life giving bread. We need to be filled with that life giving bread, and we need to be thinking so that we can give it to others. Okay, God wants us to be abiding feeders, not malnourished needers. And so I'm just going to take a minute to explain why, uh, uh, just the importance of why we have like this second hour that we call the application and implementation time. Because as a church family, um, we feel like the whole church body Everyone has different gifts, and we can feed one another during that time uh, with our variety of gifts uh, to make practical applications of the Word of God from the message we just heard. And um, so we want everyone to be able to uh, participate in that we all can learn from one another. I mean, I we don't have a corner of the tr- a market on the truth, you know, just the elders here or the deacons or somebody. I mean... Everyone in the room has uh, the ability from the smallest to the oldest to share something, to feed someone else, you know, because we all have access to the life-giving bread. And so so we really, um, you know, that's the importance of why we, we have this second hour so that we can be encouraging one another, like it says in Hebrews, to stir up one another to love and good deeds and so that's kind of why we we started this uh, this second hour. Um, so we really encourage everyone to stay for that time, so that we can we can all encourage one another. Um, so uh, again, this message is very appropriate today as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And uh, I guess I'll just have the the deacons come forward as we prepare to have the time of the Lord's Supper. Um, the Lord's Supper is, is really our, our declaration of faith. And when we partake of the bread and the, and the, uh, grape juice in the Lord's Supper, we recall the sacrifice of Christ that made eternal life possible. And, uh, we reaffirm our faith that we, we first declared and demonstrated by confessing our faith and being baptized into Christ. Um, in the context of this passage, when we first in faith believed, that is, in the context of this passage, ate the body of Christ, the bread of life, and then we reaffirm ourselves to that relationship of faith in which we continue to eat the body of Christ by living a life of faith and look forward in faith to the time when we will see him face to face on that glorious day. So, um, if the men will come forward and pass out the bread. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul was teaching the church and said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Russ, could you thank the Lord for, for his body broken for us to partake of the bread? I'm just going to read this <clears throat> again in relation to And remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <coughs> Riley, would you be able to thank the Lord for that? Amen. Okay. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for, um, thank you for yourself, Lord. Thank you that you are real. Thank you that you are true. Thank you for coming to this earth as a man to just um, be the light and the life, to give us eternal life, to be the bread of life, to um, reveal yourself, Lord, uh, to even these apostles who then recorded... um, Uh, their their times with you, the stories, that your words and uh, that we have them that really truly are like Peter said, are words of life. And um, Father, I just pray that you would um, help us to come to the conviction that spiritual nourishment is of equal value as physical nourishment, Lord, and that we uh need to um, to value it in that manner, Lord, and that we um, would just uh, be feeding on you, Lord and um, so that we would be abiding in you and uh, that you would be glorified in that Lord. I just uh, pray for your uh, grace in our lives to do so. Thank you for your grace and saving us. Thank you for drawing us. Thank you for granting us to come to your son. Thank you that your son will not lose us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Okay. Now we'll break up.